Welcome everyone to Celtic Preacher Podcast 50. Actually today I am, I'm in the car. I could not find a quiet place to record. There's so many people cutting their grass this time of year. So who knows how this will turn out. I think it might be okay, but you'll probably hear more paper turning like this. You know, it's hard to keep that quiet. But today we were listening into a conversation that Jesus had with a man. His name was Nicodemus. And uh, Nicodemus outwardly appeared to have it all together. But inwardly, he's filled with doubts and questions. Uh, a common problem, I think. It's this idea that, uh, it's the idea that the outside doesn't match the inside. On the outside, I present to the world that I'm fine, all is well, I'm successful, everything's great, it's cool. But on the inside, well, not so much. I feel like maybe a failure or a fraud or I'm not measuring up. Or I'll have everyone else fooled. Yeah, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And uh, the text is John Gospel of John chapter 3. This is the famous born again passage. But first, some, some background. So this Nicodemus, really interesting man. He dedicated his life to serve God and live right before God. A spiritual life was very important to him. It certainly wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't something that was just tacked on as an extra. But as I said, there is something missing and it's probably something that no one else sees or knows about. He has a lot of insecurities. Something's incomplete. Something's wrong. And he seeks Jesus out one evening, and it's late one evening, John tells us, when no one else can see him. So it's important to Nicodemus that no one else knows that he has this conversation with Jesus. Not at this point in his life, anyway. Appearances are very important to him. And I think the reason that he does this by night is because, if he, first of all, he's highly successful in everyone's eyes. He's uh, well-educated, he's part of the elite ruling classes, and he was part of a group called the Pharisees. Now, you've heard that word Pharisee. We tend to use it in the term of hypocrite. Um, you know, if we call someone a Pharisee today, it means that they're, they're, they're doing one thing and, and they're saying one thing, but they're actually really are another way. They're pretenders. But the original group, um, the Hebrew word for Pharisee means separate or detached. And this was a, a prominent sect in Judaism during uh, Jesus' time on earth. These Pharisees separated themselves out from the majority of the common people. And they wanted to keep themselves pure. In fact, actually, when you think about it, in every age down throughout the centuries, there's always groups religious groups, even, let's just talk about within Christianity. Even within Christianity, there's always been groups that want to sort of separate themselves out from the mainstream, isn't there, in order to keep themselves pure, in order to keep themselves clean. These holiness movements seem to pop up every so often, don't they? 
Well, in Jesus' day, they were called the Pharisees. And for the Pharisees, the laws of God, the Old, this would be the, uh, what we classify as the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scripture, the Torah, that would be the first five books, very, very important for the, for the Pharisee of Jesus' day to keep the laws of the Torah. That would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. First five books. Now, this group, I'm giving you a lot of history here because it's kind of interesting and it'll, it'll help you understand the New Testament. This group of called a Pharisee is pop up all the time all over the scripture. They're mentioned in the New Testament 95 times and many of them were opponents of Jesus, his enemies, basically. Now, some like Nicodemus are curious but a lot of time, many, many encounters in the New Testament, you'll have Jesus arguing with the religious ones, the Pharisees, the separate ones, because their understanding of God was very, very different than Jesus' understanding. Now, actually, the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote three quarters of the New Testament, he was a Pharisee before encountering Christ. So we, there's a lot of talk about Pharisees in the New Testament. You'll read about Jesus being invited to dinner by uh, Simon the Pharisee. And many times the interactions that they have are tense. They're awkward exchanges. They're argumentative. Uh, but as you read through the Gospels, uh, you'll, you'll note that may, there's many exchanges and arguments and hostility and questions from this group called the Pharisees. So I think it's safe to say that uh, many of them were threatened by Jesus. M most of the Pharisees that we encountered in the New Testament were certainly threatened by Jesus and his unusual way of interpreting scripture, his unusual way of viewing God. See, if the Pharisees were the traditionalists of the day, if they were the conservatives of the day, then Jesus was more like the, the unorthodox rabbi who brought new ideas and upset people who thought they already had God all figured out, right? Down throughout the centuries, when people, when certain groups of people think they have all the answers and they have God all figured out, they, that group, whatever century they're in, will be threatened by new ideas. They'll be the most hostile. So the Pharisees were very hostile to Jesus. Now, the Pharisees, like I said, they have this reputation of having God all figured out. So if you had a problem or you were wondering about what God wanted or you wondered what a scripture meant, you would go to a Pharisee. If you wanted to know what was right or wrong, you'd ask a Pharisee. They had a rule for everything. They had more rules. They Actually, they had hundreds and hundreds of rules. They kept adding to them. You know, I mean, God would give, for example, a commandment. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The Pharisees took great delight in, well, okay, what does that actually mean? And they added 39 more rules to the original rule. So this is how it went. They had basically had hundreds and hundreds of rules. So by the time that Jesus actually came and walked on the earth, the people were 
Jesus commented many times that the, the people were just burdened by the hundreds of laws and rules that these Pharisees had passed down. And, you know, you can get to the point where you, you keep so many rules that you've forgotten why you have the rule in the first place. Right? And uh, this is, by the way, is alive and well up today. Many, many people have been in uh, churches and part of religious uh, Christian denominations that have been absolutely worn out by the rule-keeping and just, in the end, many of them just give up and say, this is hopeless, it's terrible, it's hopeless. Okay, back to Nicodemus. So, I was telling you that externally, Nicodemus has it all together. He's part of the elite, he's well-educated, but he's not confident. He's not, he's not content with his life with God. His spiritual life, his inner life, there's something missing. He's trying to do it all right, but he doesn't feel any benefit from it. Common problem, right? He's trying to do everything all right, but he doesn't feel any benefit of it. Something is missing. And I think this is perhaps maybe one of the main areas that our own lives can intersect with Nicodemus' life. Because many, many people can relate to this. Many of us can relate to Nicodemus' life at this intersection. I'm trying, I'm praying, or I'm attending church, or I'm or I'm doing my religious services, or, or I'm reading my Bible, but I don't know. I don't really feel that confident. I'm on track, truth be told. I don't really feel that close to God. I don't feel that very successful. Common thing, right? And I think that we can forget. Nicodemus, by the way, he's not an unbeliever. Uh, it's not. This isn't about an encounter with someone who is an unbeliever and doesn't know God. This is about someone who's trying to get his life together to try and please God. But he feels like he's failing. Now, maybe the problem is that God's already pleased with him, right? Maybe. But anyway, on to the text here. He came to Jesus by night. Didn't want anyone else to see him. Remember, he's part of the academy. What would his colleagues think if he's going to talk to a street preacher? What would the academic world think of him if he came and spoke to somebody like Jesus, who did not go to any seminary of the day, right? So he came at night, John 3, verse 2. Rabbi, he says, We know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could do the miracles that you do apart from the presence of God. Okay, Jesus isn't flattered by this at all, and neither does he see his main purpose in life as a worker of miracles and signs. And this is interesting, the way that Jesus answers this, because he always goes straight to the heart of the problem. So Nicodemus meets him at night and says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God, because nobody could do all these miracles that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answers, Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born from above. You can't see what I'm doing 
in this world unless you're born again, unless you're born from above. It's like he goes right to the heart of the matter. He doesn't really engage in any small talk, right? He goes right to the heart of the matter. I think, I think a common view of religion, and this was 2,000 years ago and it's, and it's also today, a common view, certainly of Christianity is, is that it's all about following rules and doing certain things. So, if I follow Jesus, that means I have to do certain things. It means I have to go to religious services, or I have to refrain from doing certain things. I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with boys that do, right? Common misunderstanding of the faith is, keep the rules, keep whatever the church says, keep the rules, and they'll keep you on track and then you'll be okay with God. As okay as in you'll have God's approval, or you'll receive God's forgiveness, or God's love, or God's mercy, or God's blessing. Now, this is, this is the understanding. Keep the rules and you'll be okay. This is the understanding that Nicodemus lived by. However, Jesus never taught this way. So, let me back up on this text here, just so you get this, because this is interesting. Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, because nobody could do the miracles you do. And Jesus says, look, Nicodemus, whatever you're coming from, you can't even see what I'm doing unless you're born again. You're spending a lot of time keeping rules. You're spending a lot of time doing things properly and in order. Nicodemus, you're trying to reach perfection. You're following the law. You're following the tradition of the elders. You've got a rule for everything. I know you Pharisees. You have a rule for everything. Well, God isn't met this way. It is not about keeping rules. It's not about keeping church rules. It's not about keeping religious rules. Verse 4, Jesus says, you have to be born from above. Now, what in the world does that mean? What does that mean? A phrase, actually, born again, uh, became very popular um, in the American revivals. Before that, really not so much, but so it's relatively new in church history, this idea of being born from above. What does it mean? Well, Jesus, uh, Nicodemus says, asks the question, what, well, what does that mean, he says? I can't be born again. I can't climb into my my mother's woman be born again. So, of course, he's taking it literally, right? He's trying to push the, push the statement. And he's saying, how, how can that possibly happen? Verse 4. Jesus says, you have to be born again, Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, how can that happen? I'm a grown man. It's not going to happen. And Jesus persists. Not necessarily making it clearer, but Jesus persists. And he says, Nicodemus, what's born of flesh is flesh. What's born of spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I say you must be born from above. Born of the spirit. 
how can these things be? Nicodemus replies. I mean, he's totally confused. He says, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Being born again. What does that mean, born of the Spirit? Verse 5, Jesus answers, Very truly I tell you, what is born of flesh is flesh. What is born of spirit is spirit. Now, you know, it's not really that clear, is it? It's not that clear. But something, let's just take what is clear. We did not bring about our own birth, our own first birth, right? Our first birth, the day we were born, we didn't have a lot to do with that. It happened to us, right? Flesh is born of flesh, right? So the second birth Jesus speaks about, this, we need to be born of the Spirit. This is something that's done to us. We don't really have, um, we can't do that to ourselves, right? We couldn't, we couldn't birth ourselves the first time around. We certainly can't birth ourselves the second time around. So it's God that does the birthing of something new in us. Now, we can certainly cooperate. That's important. We can cooperate with this new birth, but it's not something that we can do. A new birth looks a lot like giving up control, which, by the way, as we've all noticed, we don't really have control anyway. But it's about recognizing that we don't have it. Something old is dying and something new is being born again within us. This is what Jesus taught. He's saying, Nicodemus, it's not about keeping rules. It's not about doing it perfectly. And then on the inside, you're a mess anyway. Life with God, or life with the Spirit, to use Jesus' language, is all about inner transformation, inner change. And it's like a rebirth. In fact, it is a rebirth. It's not about pretending to have it all together. It's about being open to learning how to, to walk in Jesus' way, which is to learn how to love yourself, to learn how to forgive yourself, to learn how to be compassionate toward yourself. And then once you've got yourself down, you have a chance of passing that on to other people. And I really do think it's in that order. I'm not sure you can love other people well unless you've learned to love yourself. So Nicodemus is, is really quite bewildered by this whole conversation with Jesus. And this whole idea of being bewildered, again, you know, I think that this is a common state that we find ourselves in every so often in our, our spiritual slash emotional lives. I think this is a common thing. Nicodemus is bewildered by all of this, and I think this happens at points in our lives when we're in transition and when our old ways of thinking and living and knowing things just aren't working for us anymore. You know, some things happen to Nicodemus. The text doesn't tell us. It's silent. But if at one time Nicodemus, you know, his being part of the Pharisees worked for him, it's certainly not working for him now. And I think that many of us have experienced this in other ways, you know, uh, because we go through transitions all the time. It's not just teenagers that go through transitions or midlife crisis or whatever. You know, we're changing all the time. 
We're in transition a lot. We could be in transition the way we think about God. We could be in transition the way we think about our family life. It, we could be in transition the way we think about our marriage or our partnership. Or how we want to invest our time. We, we could be changing. You know, what was true for us 10 years ago might not be working so well for us today. Why is that? Because we're going through these times of transition and change and questions. Because when, when you're changing, when you're growing, when you're evolving, when you're learning, you know, life gives you these new experiences and you have wisdom today that you didn't have 10 years ago. And these kinds of transitions and changes can be unsettling. Any kind of rebirth can be unsettling. Any Anytime something new is happening. Now, let me add here about being born again. I know that the common understanding is, is that this happens to people once. And then, then you start your walk with God, with Christ. And I, that's fine. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. If you, if people, you know, want to go back to a particular date and time that they began their uh, walking in the way of Jesus, that's fine. But I do think from experience, uh, my own experience, that I think that the born again experience is, continues on. It's not just a one-time event. It's not like we encounter Christ once and then everything's all sorted out and then everything's cool, right? It doesn't really work that way. Our experience tells us we become interested in following Christ in some way or some form, or maybe we're baptized into it and grow up into it. Um, but we're, we're always going through a dying rising. We're always going through letting go of something and birthing something new. So in some ways, the born again thing is a progressive thing also, if that makes sense. So Nicodemus is bewildered. It's a, he's got lots of questions. There's a loss of equilibrium. If Jesus is right, if this is true, you know, for him, maybe I've spent all those years off track, concentrating on the wrong things. Was it all a waste of time? Was it all a waste of energy? Yeah, that's a common thing. Anytime we go through transition, we think that. Have I been wasting all those years? Jesus says, Nicodemus, you need a spirit birth. You need a spirit birth. What is that like? I think the answer's found in verse 3, one of the answers. Jesus says, you can't see the kingdom. You can't see what I'm doing in the world unless there's a rebirth. You can't see what God's up to in the world, what God's up to in your life. You can't see this new thing. Because, Nicodemus, you have limited vision, you need to learn how to see. How would you like to see things differently, Nicodemus? And I'm saying Nicodemus, but it's really to all of us, right? Right. When we speak about seeing here, we're talking about seeing as the way, the, the way that Jesus sees the world. It's taking on Jesus' way of seeing 
and viewing and understanding. Yeah, it's a big change for Nicodemus if he's open. If he's going to cooperate with the spirits, you know, it's a big change. Because he was a man who's worked hard for all the outward presentation of his life. His reputation, his success, his respect, being well thought of, they were of utmost importance to him. And then Jesus comes along and says, mm, you know what, I'm, I'm not primarily interested in, in outward appearances of your life. I'm not really that impressed by what you show other people. I'll tell you what I'm, I'm impressed about. I'll tell you what God's impressed about. God is concerned about the inside. Your thoughts, your attitudes, your motivations. And if you will cooperate, God will bring about such change and transformation, it will be a rebirth. It will be a new you. You're going to be different. You'll be quite, quite different. See, for Jesus, the outer life that we show others and the inner life, it has to be in harmony. I mean, for Jesus, you can't pretend to be compassionate. I mean, well, you can pretend, right? You can, we, can, we can pretend. We can pretend to be forgiving. We can pretend to be loving. We can put on the show. But sooner or later, what's on the inside is going to come out. That's why Jesus is always pointing out the need for a harmony, a harmony between the, what the outer show and the inward. And he always concentrates on the inward. Religion and rules tend to concentrate on the outward. Jesus always concentrates on the inward. That's the big difference between uh, institutionalized religion and Jesus. He's always after the heart. That kind of integrity is important. Jesus taught this. Very important to God. And it's very important to us because it's who we were created to be. I mean, this is the design. We were created to be this way. So when we're not living this way, you know, we're only hurting ourselves. So being born from above, being born again, it's an openness to cooperate with God. It's an openness to, for God to, to do that work within us. And it births a new us over time, a new me, a new you. It's all about allowing God, allowing the Spirit of God, dropping the stuff that isn't helpful. Remember, I just mentioned it's usually about control. Dropping the things that aren't helpful. It's like, yes, I do want, I do want something new. I do want to be changed. I do want to be transformed. Show me your way. Lead us. Heal us. Change us. Bring us to this place of freedom. Bring about whatever you need to birth in me. Creator God. Whatever you need to birth in me, let it come about. Let me be, help me drop everything. There's the prayer. There's the heart cry. Help me drop everything that isn't helpful so that you can birth in me what needs to be, what needs to come about, this new thing that you are doing within me. 
to be born again. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me. You have been listening to Celtic Preacher. We've been looking at the Gospel of John, chapter 3. Not the easiest book, is it? I don't know why people say to brand new Christians start when you start reading the Bible, read read the book of John. No. Don't start with John. Start with Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Much, much easier. Join with me again next week for another episode.